0: Diplomatica, a journal of diplomacy and society. In the following, you'll hear an interview with Erika Heinzen Roach on her monograph, Consuls and Captives, Dutch North African Diplomacy in the Early Modern Mediterranean, which was published by University of Rochester Press in 2019. The interview is part of the series Four Questions for the Author, and will complement a review of the same title in the Spring 2021 issue of Diplomatica. Enjoy! Question 1. How did you get into your field? I've always been interested in cultural encounters, especially from a Dutch point of view. I was born and raised in the Netherlands. When I studied at the University of Amsterdam for my masters, for instance, I did my thesis on the experiences of Dutch Indonesians. They are of um, common European and Indonesian descent. But after the Declaration of Independence by Sukarno in the 1940s, they were forced, or at least felt forced, to move from Indonesia to the Netherlands. And many... Uh, emigrated uh, once more from the Netherlands to the United States. And so I interviewed a lot of families in California to learn about their experiences and to see if we could speak of integration or assimilation into their new societies. Years later, I studied uh, for a PhD at the University of Miami. And my advisor, Dr. Mary Lindemann, introduced me to the topic of diplomacy. And I thought, well, that's a really nice tool to continue to explore the idea of encounters between cultures and uh, states, if you will. Now, that might sound a little bit odd, because, of course, in history, diplomacy is the oldest um, and also perhaps the most studied topic. But I'm referring here, of course, to the new diplomatic history, the way that scholars, perhaps in the last 20 years or so, have reinvigorated the field of diplomacy and promoting the idea that we should study diplomacy in its widest meaning. And that was very appealing and very applicable to a new region I became interested in, namely the Mediterranean. Now the Dutch have been trading in the Mediterranean since the 16th century. Um, They did not establish colonies there. Many people also think that the Dutch East India Company was active there, but that was not the case the Dutch did have a lot of intense and frequent interactions with North African states. And this was related to the problem of human trafficking throughout the Mediterranean, in which all parties, whether Catholics, Protestants or Muslims, participated. Um, Now, all the literature states that there was no diplomacy, between Europe and North Africa to speak of. Um, Europeans cast North Africans uh, and and their states aside as like nests of robbers, um, pirates, uh, lawless peoples. Um, When I started 12 years ago, um, new and recent literature um, did mention um, that there was diplomacy. But with a few exceptions, nobody had really teased that out. And so I was interested in exploring what type of diplomacy were we talking about? Um, and then in particular between the you know Protestant Europe, especially of course the Dutch in this case, and these North African states. How the, uh, did this play out? And so that's how I became interested in the topic of diplomacy in the Mediterranean. Question 2. What is the structure and argument of your book? The argument of the book is quite simple. I argue that diplomacy was the product of cultural encounters rather than a European invention that had emerged in Italy during the Renaissance and had solidified on the European continent. I realized early on that I could not use the traditional criteria for diplomacy. That is, as a field dominated by resident ambassadors seeking and negotiating treaties to maintain long-term relations. Instead, my archival research demonstrated the active and persuasive role of North African officials and rulers in dictating the way diplomacy evolved. By the way, by North Africa I mean the independent Sultanate of Morocco and the Ottoman provinces Algiers, Tunis and Tripoli. Algiers and Tunis, by the way, acted quite autonomously from the Sultan in Constantinople. And that's what the Dutch also encountered. So, what you see here is four different aspects in which uh, diplomacy itself was negotiated, if you will. Uh, First, consuls become state representatives. The Tunisian Di Yusuf invites the Dutch to appoint consuls in uh, places like Algiers and Tunis and Saleh as the men to maintain relations. And indeed, the Dutch estates general and the English crown appoint consuls directly to North Africa, affirming the role of consuls as state representatives. The other aspect was treaty making. Initially, the Dutch had concluded a treaty with Morocco on the same terms as they did everywhere else in the, uh, around the globe. That is, to seek the most favorable trade conditions, uh, preferably a monopoly of uh, a certain uh, good, in exchange for military aid against Spain and Portugal. This all took place during the Dutch revolt and the Dutch uh, sought to undermine the trade prospects of Spain and Portugal wherever possible. Once the Moroccan sultans realized their relations with England have broken down, um, that relations with the Dutch might actually be very profitable and so they agree to conclude a treaty on the uh, condition that uh, Spain is proclaimed the common enemy. Later in the century, though, the Dutch um, experience that the North Africans really dictate the stipulations of the treaties. And that brings me to the third point, which is the ransoming of captives as one of the stipulations included. The Dutch estates-general at first really does not want to be responsible for the ransoming of captives. Instead, they demand the unconditional release of their captured seafarers. But there's no way around the ransoming of captives. And so that becomes then another way in which the Dutch have to adjust to North African and Western Mediterranean customs. The last aspect is gift-giving. Again, the Dutch think that this is extravagant, it's lavish, but there's no way around it if they want to maintain relations. To show these um, changes in these practices, I have divided the book in four parts. The first deals with the first encounters between um, the Dutch and Morocco and Algiers and Tunis the ways that um, the Dutch try to impose their will, but are being stopped by the wishes of the Moroccan Sultan and those of the dais of Algiers and Tunis. The second part then deals with transformations, in particular the role of the consul as state representative and the realization that captives have to be ransomed. Now, obviously, the state general is not too pleased <laughs> with the way um, affairs are being run in North Africa. And so the third part deals with confrontations, especially uh, naval violence. Um, but also, uh, interestingly, the way that Christian and Jewish uh, merchants fight with one another to represent the Dutch state. Another confrontation is internal, and that is the problems of collecting ransom back in the Dutch Republic. But obviously the problem does not go away, even though the number of captives dwindle in the early 18th century, they are still there. And so the Dutch calculate that it's much cheaper to put aside money to pay for some cannons and cannonballs and guns and whatever uh, the Maghribi would like to receive in order to uh, sign peace. And so that is how then the fourth part of the book ends, namely the the institutionalization of gift-giving as um, the normative way of doing diplomacy. Question 3. What is the main historiographical or other uh, intervention? My book addresses two historiographical debates. And let me start with the second one, which is the Northern Invasion Theory by Fernand Brodel, who in a nutshell claimed that the arrival of the English and the Dutch in the Mediterranean changed dynamics. They replaced religious warfare with maritime commercial navigation. In other words, the northerners modernized the Mediterranean. Now, a lot of scholars have counter that point, contending that religious warfare still took place and that empires still mattered. And can we truly speak of strong nation-states? Well, perhaps not. And this is where my study fits in. If you look at the way that diplomacy evolved, it was all based on traditional practices. Europeans were unable to dictate the rules and norms of diplomacy. In other words, it was not modern. And that brings me to the second historiographical debate, namely the type of diplomacy we're talking about. According to the um, interpretations of the new diplomatic history, I've been looking at the role of consuls in particular, and their correspondence truly proved to be a wealth um, of, of um, well, a treasure trove. They were caught between the wishes of the Hague and Amsterdam on the one hand and the desires of their Maghribi hosts on the other. And, oh, by the way, captives were running in and out of their houses to demand their redemption as soon as possible. But these consuls were underpaid or not paid as well constantly being in debt but pressed to continuously uh, keep buying presents they were uh, actually um, or they thought that they were um, in a very miserable positions the only one who only ones who were able to maintain uh, their position for a long time and I'm talking here about decades were those who established trading houses within their families. Um, They were not supposed to do that uh, in their capacity as state representatives, but of course it was the only way to maintain their consulates. Uh, In other words, by looking at the social, cultural and political affairs of consuls, uh, was I able to see how diplomacy itself was negotiated. Question 4. What book? On the topic of diplomacy, old or new, has inspired you or uh, would you like to recommend to others? In terms of recommendations, uh, a few titles come to mind. Perhaps I should first mention an article by John Watkins. It's called Toward a New Diplomatic History and he explains clearly what uh, the new diplomatic history entails. And this is required reading for anybody interested in the field. If you want to look at how uh, scholars apply this method, then first I should really recommend um, the work of Mary Lindemann, Liaison Dangereuse Sex, Law and Diplomacy in the Age of Frederick the Great, in which she deals with a murder mystery and its implications in the arena of diplomacy. And it's fascinating. It's based on um, extensive archival research. It's written in in beautiful prose, uh, as always. Uh, She serves as a uh, wonderful example of how to write um, diplomatic history and and history uh, in general. The other person that uh, has a great influence on my work is the work by uh, Nabil Matar. If you look at diplomacy, then perhaps I should specifically uh, mention um, Europe Through Arab Eyes. Um, He too writes beautiful uh, English, uh, clear, um, and the advantage of his work is that he addresses the um, Maghribi side of the story so well and so... Um, um, illustrative. So these are works that I can really recommend and um, that I have been influenced by. You've listened to a New Diplomatic History podcast. For more podcasts, go to newdiplomatichistory.org podcasts. They're available on Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Thank you for listening.